0: Okay, so today the title of the message is 11 things to know about the Day of Atonement. 11 things to know about the Day of Atonement. So Tuesday night at sundown, uh, to Wednesday night at sundown, that starts the Day of Atonement for the Jewish people. Uh, that's when it would be observed. Uh, that's when around the world it's going to be observed. And that's that's coming uh, this week. Oftentimes this, this uh, particular feast is called Yom Kippur. Yom means day, Kippur means covering or ransom. Also called the Day of Atonement, it's the Day of Covering. It's where man man can be made right with God. That was what happened for Israel on that day of the Day of Atonement. It was the one day that they knew that their sins were covered. Now, they had sacrifices all through the year, but this was a day that in case there was something that was missed, in case there was something unconfessed, it was their kind of assurance that things were covered. Now... Uh, this ultimately, of course, points us forward to Christ, right? because he is the day of atonement. He is the fulfillment of that. There actually never is a need for another day of atonement because Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of that. but nonetheless, this was something that God had on their calendars, and it was constantly on their calendar, and even today for the for the Jewish person, uh, what, last week, the Feast of trumpets, Rosh Hashanah to the Yom Kippur is 10 days, and it's 10 days, often called the High Holy Days, the days of awe. It's days where there's a lot of introspection and repentance. And this is considered the biggest day on a Jewish calendar. Now, consequently, I can't say that this is true or not, but some would even say that, that you remember the book of Jonah, we preached that a couple months months ago as part of our minor prophets, that you remember after Jonah preaches to the people of Nineveh, and everybody repents, and then he goes and gets in a booth. You remember this? or he's kind of act, 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 having his own pity party that God is more, so merciful. Um, it's just hilarious to me that he's the most successful evangelist ever, but yet, you know, is really upset about how gracious God was to save the Ninevites. It says that he goes and gets in a booth. Now, we don't know for sure if that if he was celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles during that, but the fact that he goes out and gets in a booth during that time, it's not implausible that it's possible because... After the Day of Atonement, five days later, right, is where you have the start of the Feast of Booths. It's plausible that, like in the book of Jonah, when Nineveh repents, it's possible that that could have possibly been on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. I think that would be awesome if that actually was true, because he's in a booth later on outside uh, of Nineveh. So nonetheless, there's a lot to this holiday. So number one, um, this feast, number one on your outline, I want to point out one thing. Number one. And then I want to read some scripture with you. Uh, y'all are okay with reading some scripture, right? We're going to read Leviticus, okay? That's that book in the Bible that when you decide on January 1 to read through the Bible, okay, and then you get through Genesis and Exodus, that's the one you stop, okay? And it's probably about this point is where you stop at. First, it's a day that many Jews globally observe in some, one, some way. Eleven things to know about the Day of Atonement. First, it's a day that many Jews globally, they will observe it, Um Now, the way Yom Kippur is specified in the scriptures to be observed, that is not a possibility for the Jewish person today in the sense that there's no more temple. In 70 AD, it was destroyed. So in that sense, it's not really available. But the rabbis through the year have uh, created traditions in different ways that Jewish people around the world can still... Um, observe Yom Kippur. And you'll still see it today. Maybe if you work with somebody who's Jewish, you might see that they're off that day. If you work with someone who's Jewish, you might see that they may fast that entire day. Okay. If you, if you come into work on Thursday and you've got some people that work with you that are Jewish, you, and you talk to them, it's, it's a good likelihood they may have fasted that day. Now, depending on what kind of Jewish person they are, it's possible that they just fasted as a cult of as a part of kind of heritage for the day, and then broke that fast at sundown Wednesday night and had a meal with family. But it's also possible, if there's someone more orthodox, that they had actually, it was a day of repentance and looking towards their own sin. For some, it's not actually that. It's just more of their, their taking part in what's a, a part of, of, of their actually Jewish tradition. It just depends on the person. But nonetheless... It said that in America, statistically, half of American Jews will actually fast for that day. Whether it's strictly a religious reason or just part of a a heritage, half. I don't know about you, but not even many of, of us who are Gentiles actually fast. And so the fact that half of American Jewish people would be fasting for one day tells me there's something huge that's going on there. Also tells me this, if there was ever a time for you to pray for an opportunity to minister the gospel message to someone who's Jewish, I wonder if this would be the time of the year. It's considered the most holy and high, the Sabbath of all Sabbaths for a Jewish person. Just a side note, um, for many Jewish people, they look for the Day of Atonement to be when the Lord when the Lord sets up His kingdom in some ways, uh, that the Messiah is going to come, that He's going to arrive. Um, it's said in the Talmud that the world will, um, this is one part that I read, the world will endure not less than 85 jubilees, and in the last jubilee, the Messiah, the Son of David, will come. There's many Jews that think this will be when the Messiah actually comes and shows up. Now, according to Jewish legend, uh, in Jewish legend, the rabbis teach that this also, the, the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. This is also the day um, that, that Moses came down from Mount Sinai with, the second time with the Ten Commandments. And as he did this, instead, the second time, the people were penting and fasting from the golden calf idolatry they had done when he had come down the first time. Now, I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying this is in kind of Jewish and rabbi folklore. But what's interesting about the whole festival is this. It's still observed today. Even the most secular of Jews, it's, it's kind of a part of their cultural heritage. But it's interesting. It's still kind of fitting that rhythm through their life. So if you're wondering, hey, I've got a Jewish person who's a neighbor, a, fr- a family, mem- a friend, or, or in some way that you work with, this day from Tuesday sundown to Wednesday sundown will mean something. Will mean something. So if there's ever a time to pray, I would even tell you this. If there's ever a time for you to even fast yourself and, and ask the Lord this, that, that he could use you, this may be a time to actually do it. Number two, it was a day to gather together. Now do this. I'm going to look at some scriptures uh, with you. Are you all okay with that? We're going to read Leviticus. Oh, Leviticus. I told someone one time, one of these days, we're going to preach through the book of Leviticus, and I got a very scared look from them. Do this. Would you stand in reverence to the reading of God's word? I want to read a couple things out of Leviticus with you. Read, go to Leviticus 23. Then we'll go to Leviticus 16. Leviticus 23. In Leviticus 23:26, this is this is the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the Day of Covering, the Day of Atonement, the day that the wrath of God was turned away from them for their sin. Verse 26 The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is Leviticus 23, 26. Now, in the tenth day of the seventh month is the Day of Atonement. Remember, that's coming this Tuesday. That's That's the tenth day. Started with the new moon. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation. That's a gathering, assembling of the people. And you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. And you shall not do any work on that day, for it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. So you can see them, they're fasting and they're not working. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Verse 29, and whoever is not afflicted on that very day, that afflicted has this idea of them humbling themselves, often denoted by fasting shall be cut off from among his people. And whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among his people. So you are not to go to work that day. You shall not do any work. It is a statue forever throughout your generations and all your dwelling places. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest and you shall afflict yourselves. And the ninth day of the month, beginning at evening, from the evening to evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. So, it would start on that ninth sundown. Now do this. Go over to Leviticus chapter 16. So it'll actually happen this Tuesday at sundown to Wednesday sundown. Now let me read for you the process of what happens that day. And we're going to go through the message and elaborate on this. This is this is Moses giving uh, given instructions on how this is to actually happen. The Day of Atonement. Now what's interesting about the Day of Atonement. It all revolves around the high priest. A lot around what the high priest does, right? Which is... Really cool because it points towards our ultimate high priest. But we're we're going to get into that. Look in chapter 16. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, and they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil. There was the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, right? If you've seen Indiana Jones, then you know what it can do, okay? That was just a joke. (laughs) But you probably have a visual picture if you saw the Indiana Jones movie. If you don't know what I say when I say Indiana Jones, you're too young. And before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. So he just couldn't go in whenever he wanted to. And I will appear in a cloud over the mercy seat. And in the way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering... And a ram for a burnt offering. So we see the high priest Aaron is told that to, to offer a sacrifice, a sin offering and to come into the holy of holies where the mercy seat is and there, um, and there to make atonement. Verse four. He shall put on the holy linen coat. This is what he's to wear that day and shall have the linen undergarment on his body and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. Just as a side note, that's usually dressing down from what he usually wore. We'll talk more about that. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation the people of Israel two male goats for sin offering. Hold that idea. Two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. That's at the at the entrance of the tabernacle. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, and one lot for the Lord, and the other for Azazel. Which is basically, Azazel means scapegoat. We'll talk more about that. Verse 9, And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord, and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, and it may be away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. So we see Aaron making a sacrifice for himself in his house, the high priest. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, two handfuls of sweet incense beaten together, and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord. Don't worry, guys, I'm going to explain what all this means. Okay, at this point, you're just like, this is why I give up in Leviticus. and then in since i cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so he does not die. Verse 14, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his fingers on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. In the front of the mercy seat, this is the Ark of the Covenant. He shall sprinkle some of the blood with his fingertips, with his fingers seven times. This is him inside the Holy of Holies. He can only go in once a year. And he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of the transgressions of all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting for the whole tabernacle which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the, in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for the house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord to make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bulls and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around and he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his fingertips seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness in the people of Israel. And when he's made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. So at this point, he's already gone into the mercy seat. He's gone out to the, uh, to the sacrificial altar. He has made atonement there. Verse 20, and he shall make... Um, look at verse 20. And he shall make an end of atoning for the holy place, for the tent of meeting, for the altar... He shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it the iniquities of the people of Israel and their transgression and all their sins. And he shall put on the head of this goat And send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. That goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself to the remote area. And he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting. And shall take off the linen garment that he put on when he went into the holy place. And shall leave them there. He leaves these original garments that he wore for that day. And he shall bathe his body in water in the holy place. And put on his garments. Put back on his priestly garments. His high priestly garments. And come out and offer his burnt offering and burnt offering of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull for a sin offering, and the goat for a sin offering, whose blood was bought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. The skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp. This shall be a statue to you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and do no work, neither the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on that day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. This was the one day they knew, like it's all covered. We know in case we forgot anything, in case there's something hanging there. We know. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you. You shall afflict yourselves. It is a statue forever. The priest who is anointed and consecrated as father in his, his priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tent of meeting, for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statue forever for you. The atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in a year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded him. Would you pray? Complicated portion of scripture. And why would we not want to dive into it? Because it's here. It's a part of your word. It's part of the sufficiency of the word to point us to you. Let us catch you in this. Let us worship you in this. Let us see deeply the holiness of God, the offense of our sin, and the need for atonement, a need for covering Save somebody today. And for the rest of us, let us push into the cross even harder. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Thank you. So I've already covered part number one of my outline with you. You just read a lot, and you might be thinking, My head is spinning. So let me help you. I'm going to go back through this, and and hopefully by the end of the message, you'll understand a little bit of what this looked like. I will tell you, there is a benefit to you reading the Bible on your own. And one of the benefits is, when you preach messages, you start to get pictures of what's going on here. So what we're talking about here is is what happens on the Day of Atonement. A couple things. Number two on your outline, it was a day that you gathered together. If you remember seeing in Leviticus 23, 27, it was a holy conflagration. The people would gather together. Israel would gather together. They would gather outside. None of them could go into the tabernacle on that day, but they were gathering, waiting to see. Would the high priest live through going into this holy of holies? Would 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 our sins be forgiven? Would this happen? So they gathered together, which is just interesting to me that it's always been this way. That you can't you don't worship God just as a solo act. It's something done together with God's people. Even Jews, secular Jews worldwide, they're going to have some kind of worship, even if it's not very true and accurate to, um, uh, this week when it comes. Even when you look at even Revelation 4 and 5 and you see the, the, the worship of heaven. It's not just singular, it's communal. You see it happening, there's a gathering. So the day of uh, the Day of Atonement, it was a day of gathering. It's observed by Jews all over the globe. But then number three on your outline, is everybody with me on this? Number three... It was a day of humbling for the people. It was a day of humbling for the people. In Leviticus sixteen, twenty nine, you find that says, it says the statute of you forever, in the seventh month and the tenth day of the month you shall afflict yourselves. Now, what is that word afflict? When you look it up, it has this idea of humbling yourself. And one of the great one of the ways they mostly humbled themselves was that they fasted on that day. And I don't know if you've ever fasted, but when you fast, it, it can be a very humbling thing because your stomach growls a lot. And every time your stomach growls, that's a chance for you to run back to the Lord. It's a chance for you to, for instance, if you were to fast this kind of Yom Kippur, every time your stomach growled and hungered, it was a chance for you to look at the the heinousness of your own sin and then push over and be thankful for the work of the cross. And so for them, it was a way for them to take seriousness the sin of their life. It was a way for them to take serious that on that day... The High Priest, the second time that he I'm sorry, the third time that he went back into the Holy of Holies, he was offering atonement for their sin and, and then there would be a lot cast and then it would then their sin would be confessed over the horns of another goat. It was big, it was a humbling day for them, humbling for them. I often wonder for us, um, I, I'm not prescribing that you have to fast, but I still see in the New Testament like fasting is a good thing. And and not really to get something from God. I think you see a lot of that in the Old Testament. I think when you look at the New Testament, it's really about getting God. So like if you're kind of in life and you're kind of saying sin keeps overtaking me in certain ways and and I I keep having a weakness and I keep just giving into the flesh. Here's what fasting is great. Because when you fast and you hunger, instead of immediately satisfying that with something earthly, you're immediately satisfying something heavenly. Instead of getting the earthly bread, you're getting the bread of life, okay? And do you understand what I'm saying? So there's something that sometimes when you're repenting of your own sinfulness in life and there's, I mean, you're just overtaken or you're in bondage and sin, There may be time for you to start fasting over that, saying that, Lord, Lord, I want you more than anything. And and here's what's interesting. If your body is disciplined at, at a body from your soul to say no to food when you get hungry in a day, you're going to see yourself stand up a lot better when the urges of the flesh come on you when the urges of lust come on you when the urges of bitterness and anger come on you you'll be surprised what happens when you've already disciplined the body but nonetheless they're they're fasting on this day this is a part of them they're they're and they're breaking this fast at sundown typically with a big meal which i just want to say this this is i don't think the new testament church for us, we're under any obligation. We're not preaching these series to make you say you have to do this. But I will say this, if the ritual, if the heart is right, the ritual can be right. I do think there's something interesting that there's rhythms of God in the scripture that that how how good would it be for our soul if we had once a year where we just took off work and thought deeply about the status of our soul. We fasted, we prayed, we we thought about the the exceeding sinfulness of our own sin, and then was so much more thankful for the work of grace that could cover that. What if we just, because I don't know if we really do, to be honest with you, and if we have a day off from work, more than likely we spent at least a couple hours of that day on our smartphone just being distracted from something, right? So I just wonder if this rhythm would do something for our life. But we're not required to. Colossians 2.16 tells us clearly, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, With regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. So there is no obligation. But if in your own worship before the Lord. You're saying. You know like I saw Israel take. God called them to take seriously their sin. I'm going to take serious my sin. I'm going to have some time before the Lord. This Tuesday through Wednesday evening. I'm going to fast myself. I mean, I've got some strongholds in my life. And then. But when you break that fast, it's like have a feast and be thankful that someday you'll be feasting with Jesus at the marriage supper of the lamb. I mean, like take communion, maybe, and and like be thankful that the work of the cross is sufficient to cover that sin, just like it was just like the work of atonement was sufficient for that day. So it was a day of humbling for the people. It often involved fasting for them. Number four, it was a day to not work. Anybody got a problem with that? Like, anybody got a problem with that? Like, let's not work today, okay? I, I don't know where, I mean, if you own your own business, it's probably going to be hard to take off. I mean, if you can convince your own self. But, you know, when you work for somebody, a lot of times when something is a part of a, an observance, they'll give you a day off for that. At least, I think that's how it works. It sounds like what everybody's told me. Um, I don't know. I only work one day a week, so it doesn't matter for me. Leviticus twenty three twenty eight. It says, you shall do no work on that very day, okay? We saw it in Leviticus chapter 16 as well. It's, it was a day that you didn't work. It was a day, now here's the deal. If you were fasting that day and afflicting, if you were working, you were going to be distracted. So I don't, like for instance, have you ever had those days where you just had a busy day? You didn't get to eat breakfast. You didn't get to eat lunch. You didn't get to eat snack. You didn't get to eat second, third, and fourth lunch, uh, breakfast, right? You know, that's kind of how the hobbits do it, right? I mean, you just didn't get to eat the whole entire day. And you just didn't even know it, and you get to the end of the day, and then of course, you know you're slamming down like two big Macs on the way home with some fries and stuff like that. but you just don't know it because you're so busy. Well, if you weren't working and doing the usual busyness, it made that affliction even harder. I mean, you know, if you know what it's like when you're around the house, you get bored. What do you do? Kind of get up? What do you walk past? Fridge. Have you ever caught yourself being bored and walking past the refrigerator, opening it, and getting nothing, just kind of contemplating it, shutting it, going back, stepping back up? Didn't any of y'all do that? Okay. Am I the only broken person here? (laughs) Yep. Okay. So it was a day to not work. It was a day for them to focus on the Lord. It was a day to repent of sin. It was a day to watch... It was a it was a Sabbath of Sabbath for them. Now, I'm not going to tell you that we're under some kind of Sabbath obligation, but I will say this. There is something to that rhythm. There is something you've got to rest at some point and and focus back on the Lord when you're in the shuffle and the hustle of life. Even now, do you know that most of us never actually take a break from work. It used to be you left work and that was it. But now your work comes with you. It's in your pocket and in your purse. And you're checking emails and you're checking texts. And your work expects you to respond even no matter what time of the night. So a Sabbath could always be good for you. So it was a day that they didn't work. Number five, it was a day to confess sin. The high priest, he would confess his sins of his family. over, And he would, compress, he would confess the sins of the people. This is a day of confessing sin. It was a good thing to do. I would even say this, even for ourselves, it's a good day for us even to confess sin. Even Wednesday, as Wednesday hits, I mean, even if you're not like taking off work or having a fast day, even if you were to just say, I'm going to take one meal, I'm going to take lunch, I'm just going to fast over lunch that day and I'm going to be in the scriptures, I'm going to think deeply. In fact, it it might even be where you think, have I sinned against God in some way that I need to confess? Have I sinned against somebody else that I need to confess? I mean, it, it... There's something to a rhythm of your life of like thinking deeply about that. So it was a good day to do that. It was a day that they confessed sin. In fact, even leading up to it, even even uh, the Jewish people typically this year, the 10 days of all, they they were starting this with the Feast of Trumpets. This was already happening. So if you are kind of thinking, I mean, I've got Jewish friends, family, uh, Jewish friends and neighbors and some of you may have family if you have Jewish heritage. This 10 days of all may be the time that actually something's going on, that their heart could be softer to the Lord than any other day. Number six, this is the really exciting part of the message. The other five were just boring, right? So if you fell asleep, now you can wake up, okay? This is the good part. It was a day of ministry for the high priest. Now you may think like, okay, how's that exciting? Well, hang with me. This is what made... When you start studying this, you start seeing what what happens. This is the day that sets it apart because it was a day of ministry for the high priest. Look in Leviticus 16, 17. I want to point out some things. It says in Leviticus 16, 17, No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters. He's talking about the high priest here. The high priest. To make atonement in the holy place until he comes out. And has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. So this was a day of ministry for the high priest in that this. He worked alone. No one else was going in that day. Any normal day, you'd have all these other priests making sacrifices, handling the daily sacrifices. That really wasn't in the high priest's hands a lot. Oh, but not on that day. All the other priests, they weren't there. Not on this day. It was the high priest alone by himself handling these sacrifices, going in three different times into the Holy of Holies. It was only him and him alone. Nobody there to support him. Nobody to lift him up. Nobody to shoulder the burden with him. Why? Because it points to our ultimate high priest, Jesus. Why the disciples not hang around? Why did everybody forsake him? Because no one could bear the weight of the atonement of the cross only Jesus could do it alone. Only him by himself. Nobody was sufficient to do it. Just like the high priest. I mean, listen, this is why we want to study these things. Because when you read it, I mean, next time, you know, when January 1 comes and you make your new little thing, right? And you're getting to the end of January. And you're trying to hit Leviticus. You can hit Leviticus 16 and think, yes, I get this. This is awesome. No one was there with the high priest. It's a picture. It's a type. It's pointing towards Jesus that he was alone as our high priest making sacrifice. So the priest is alone that whole day. And just so you know, not only the day of atonement sacrifices the sin offerings, there were burnt offerings, and then there were the regular offerings that already happened as a part of the course of that day. And this dude was doing it. Now, this guy was a tired, this is he was a tired dude by the end of the day. Only Jesus was sufficient. Only Jesus was sufficient and worked alone to make our atonement. Next, the high priest's, he had to wear our humble garments. Now, if you know anything about what the high priest wore, it was really, he had some really nice threads. I should have put a picture up of it. But he had some really nice threads the high priest would wear that would be different from the other priests. But on this day, the high priest didn't wear his typical high priestly garments. He actually wore very humble garments. He, he wore, it was basically all white, very humble. Now, why is that? Because this high priest on the day of atonement is pointing us towards Jesus. And Jesus in Philippians 2 is described as humble. Jesus comes and he lives a humble existence among us. He humbles himself by becoming obedient to the death of the cross. The high priest on the day of atonement dressed more humbly than ever the priest even did on a regular day, took off his normal garments, his his glorious garments that point to the glory of God and took them off because it was going to be a humbling day of service for him, which points to Jesus that in the work of the cross, it was a day of humbling. It was a day of humbling service. You see in chapter 16, verse 4, it says this. He shall put on the holy linen coat. He shall have the linen undergarment on his body. He shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are his holy garments. No ephod. No, I mean, nothing, nothing else of all the beautiful things that the high priest would wear. It was humble garments that day. Why is that? Because it was a day of ministry for the high priest that pointed us towards Jesus. It was, and on this day, only the high priest could enter the holy of holies. Only he could do it. No one else could do it. Which once again points us to Jesus. He is the only one that was sufficient to enter the heavenly holy of holies in our place. He did it and he did it alone. The high priest though, he was a sinner. Even he had to be ritually clean. When you look in chapter 16 verse 4, you see that he had to, he had to actually, it says he shall bathe his body in water, then put the holy garments on. So before the priest went in to do all this work on the Day of Atonement, he would have to wash, ceremonially wash himself, so he would be ritually clean to do all these things. In Jewish tradition, it says that he had five baths and ten foot in hand washings that day. Okay? That's that's a lot of dry skin by the end of the day, okay. This is what he was doing to be ritually clean before the Lord. Now, how does this point us towards Jesus? Well, in this. This priest had to be ritually clean to go before the Lord, but Jesus was more than ritually clean, he was actually clean. And therefore, he is the only priest that was clean enough to enter in into the holy place for us. He was the only one that had true cleansing. This is why this priest, I mean, in our text of Leviticus 16, we see already a couple towns where he has to wash himself. He's he's not clean he, he has to keep doing the ritual. But not Jesus. He doesn't have to keep doing the ritual because he is the fulfillment of all ritual. He is the actuality of cleanness. The high priest also, um, in that being a sinner, he had to offer sacrifice for himself. Look in verse twelve through thirteen. Actually, I would say this. Even before that, I, w- I want you to. I want to show you this. He would. He would have to actually offer something so that he would not die going into the holy of holies. Look in verse twelve. It says he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so he does not die so in the in the tabernacle you have right there at the veil you have this altar of incense and he would he would have to offer offer what he says right here in verse 12 at that incense and create smoke, okay? And the reason he created that smoke was so that it would create kind of a screen, kind of a, a film haze screen in there that when he did go in before the Ark of the Covenant, before he went before this, that it would kind of protect him from the glory of God that he was going to see in there because the glory of God would just kill him. So he was so unholy that Not only in a minute would he have to sacrifice for his own family and sin, but he was so unholy that he would have to, at this altar of incense, would have to create this smoke screen so that he didn't die from the sheer glory of God going in before this ark. But that wasn't Jesus. Jesus is the one who was sufficient to live. See, if any one of us went to the cross and died for our sins, we'd be dead. We'd never come back. There's only one that was sufficient to actually bear the brunt and wrath of God in our place. And it was Jesus. There was only one that was holy enough to do that. And only that he had to offer sacrifice for himself before he could even do this. Look in verse six. So Aaron shall offer a bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. So he had to before he could offer a sin offering for the people, he'd offer it for himself. He was a sinner himself. But Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus was clean completely. Never once did he sin. Never once did he even have sin as was he tempted to get into sin in a way that we are. There was no landing pad for sin in his life. He was completely holy. Also, uh, so this high priest, it was a different thing. He went in alone and did what only he could do because Jesus went in and did for us what only he could do. Although he was a sinner, he had to, have, he had to be sinless. He had to be, he had to be cleaned up before the Lord to offer the sacrifice. But our Jesus was already cleaned up. This is why it's so important that we recognize that he is God, because only God could hold down and resist sin. And But at the same time, we have to hold that he was also man, because it would take a man to undo all the ramifications, what Adam did in the fall. So number six, it was a day of ministry For the high priest. Number seven. Is everybody with me? It was an appointed day. You know what's interesting to me? There was a certain day when this was to happen. It was to happen once a year. So the high priest just couldn't decide, okay, it's December, I'm going to walk in here and I'm just going to do this again, just in case things. He'd be struck dead. There was one time that he could come. I mean, it says right there in Leviticus 16.2, he says... And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. Now, what he was saying is he just can't go in whenever he wants to. It is an appointed time for this to happen. Now, why would there be something of an appointed time? What what ramifications does this have for the work of the cross? Because at the right appointed time, the Lord brought forth the Messiah at the right time and in the right way, and in the right sacrifice. I I heard one time someone say, and this is actually a part of his ordination, they asked him and said, tell us about, (laughs) I always wondered in a pastoral ordination what happens if you answer the the question wrong. You ever wondered that, you know, in an ordination? Like, what happens if the guy answers the question wrong? So this (laughs) this guy's being ordained, and uh, they asked him and said, tell us about Jesus Christ being the sin sacrifice of the world. And he said a whole bunch of things, and he should have just stopped talking. And then he ended the phrase with, um, Jesus Christ was God's last resort. You know, and I remember kind of looking over at the guy next to me like, uh oh, what happens now? Like, do we still get to eat after? You know, I mean like, what happens when you answer wrong? The moderator corrected him that Jesus was not God's last resort. Jesus was God's appointed. There is no haphazardness to this. God was very specific the day and the way this atonement was to happen because it pointed towards Jesus who specifically at a point in time in history appointed by God's hand would be our sin sacrifice. Number eight. It was a day that cleansed God's dwelling place from the pollution of Israel's sin. I looked over here at chapter 16 verse 18. This is sometimes we forget. Look at verse 18. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull, some of the blood of the goat, and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his fingertips seven times, and cleanse it, and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting, so the holy place is that holy of holies, and the tent of meeting is the tabernacle, And the altar, the altar of incense, the brazen altar, he shall present the live goat. So it's interesting, even in this, his sins had to be cleansed, the people's sins. We're going to look at that in a minute. But even there was this idea that the tabernacle was at the middle of Israel's society and man was bringing their sacrifices each day, bringing their sin. The, it, I mean, God was. this was God living among sinful people. And there was even this cleansing that had to happen there. Not because God is sullied by man's sin, that if the wrath of God is not satisfied, it would kill men. I mean, that's how holy God is. He's so holy that on the Day of Atonement, this was where it kind of was basically this idea that, okay, the tabernacle's been cleansed again. You're not going to die because the tabernacle's in the midst of your whole society right here. So there was a cleansing of God's place, His dwelling place. On the cross, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because He was bearing the brunt and wrath of God in our place. He cried out because He was absorbing God's wrath. Because God is holy, and when God is around unholiness, He can do nothing but judge that sin of unholiness. So the temple, the tabernacle, had to be cleansed, pointing us forward that there would be only one that could ultimately cleanse us from our sin the ultimate tabernacle. You remember John 1 14? 1 and the Word was made flesh, and what? Dwelt. That word there, dwelt, is tabernacled among us. Number nine, it was a day of forgiveness for the people. Now, on that day, they did sin offerings. I don't have a lot of time to go into all the different kind of offerings. It's kind of complicated sometimes, but there was many types of offerings. Specifically here, we're talking about a sin offering and later there would be a burnt offering. The, the difference would be a sin offering is often was actually offered when you sin more unintentionally. Or you realize later you sinned or someone confronted you about a sin and you would make a sin offering. This is what was happening on that day of atonement. It was, hey, if nothing hasn't been sacrificed for, if nothing hasn't been confessed, this is the day. This is the sin offering day. All's going to be covered. It was the day that the people of Israel were assured like, OK, we're OK for right now. So it was a day of forgiveness for the people. And on this day, so basically what happened, the third time he would go into the Holy of Holies, he would take the blood from this goat. There would be two goats for the people. He'd take the blood from this one goat, and then he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. He would go through the processes that it outlines in Leviticus 16, making atonement for the people, satisfying the wrath of God against sin for these these people. And then not only that, because it was kind of in two phases when he offers the goat um, and takes the blood for the people for the goat remember he's already he's already done the altar of incense so that he could even come into the ark uh, to the to the the holy of holies and then he's offered for himself from a bull so he could come into the holy of holies and confess his sin and those of his family now he's doing it for the people and he, now he's now he's taken the goat and he's done the sin offering for the goat and he's sprinkled the blood in the holy of holies he's, he's now covered them but here's the deal When he did that, that appeased the wrath of God against their sin. But then he walks out. And what he does is there's this other goat. That he goes and he puts his hands on the horns of that goat. And he confesses the sins of the people. Which is interesting to me. Although he's the only one in the tabernacle. I always wonder how loud was he confessing the sins of those people? Cause I'm almost definite that people were kind of watching and waiting or trying to hear. I don't know what, I don't know how close they could get to this tabernacle. I don't know what, what kind of feet they got to stand away, but I know, I don't know about you, but if I'm the high priest and I have a little bit of angst about the people's sins, I mean, what is this guy saying and what is everybody hearing? Okay. I have no idea, but I, it seems like something public was going on right here. So what he would do is he would put his hands on this other goat. So one was sacrificed in the sin offering. This other goat, the sins of the people were were confessed over it. And then that goat was driven out into the wilderness to his death, signifying not only by the first goat that was the sin offering, that the wrath of God was appeased. But that second goat that was carried out, that showed you that your sin was carried away, that it was gone. So One, you saw the priest still alive coming out after he offered your sin offering goat. But then you saw this goat driven out into the wilderness. It gave you even more confirmation that not only has the wrath of God been satisfied, but my sins have been carried away. So Jesus was the perfect exemplary. It was the perfect um, model or type of this. In this In this sin offering for the people, there were those two goats. You can read about it if you... Look over in the text at verse 21 and 22. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it the iniquities of the people of Israel and their transgression and all their sin. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. And that goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area. And he shall let the goat go free into the wilderness. So we see a beautiful thing happening here. That one goat is satisfying the wrath of God and the other goat is removing their sin, is, is showing that it's atoned for and carried out into the wilderness. And Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of both these. He is the ultimate sacrifice that could do this. Number 10. It was a day, of all these things though, here's the thing. It was a day that had to be repeated. Each year, sacrifice again. Each year, sacrifice again. Even that day, They had the normal course of sacrifices. They still continued on. If you were to look at, um, look at Numbers 29, we're not going to look at it, but they still had other, they saw the other sacrifices that day that had to be carried on. Why is that? Because ultimately this didn't solve it all. It just held off the wrath of God according to Romans till the day that the ultimate sin sacrifice Jesus was to come. So it'd have to be repeated year after year. But with our Jesus, it doesn't have to be repeated year after year. His sacrifice was sufficient. It was the once and for all sacrifice. One of the reasons it was only done once a year to point towards the day that when the Messiah came, the ultimate sacrifice, it would only have to happen one time and that would be it. That's why I say Christians aren't under any obligation to observe Yom Kippur because that's already been solved for us through the work of the cross. But if we want to, as a memorial, if we want to, in a way, to point us towards Christ, if we want to take the day off, if we want to fast, if we want to look hard towards the work of the cross, if we want to escape from the hustle and bustle and busyness and create a rhythm for our soul that we can worship Him, then the, if the heart is right, the ritual can be right. As long as you don't become a Pharisee by it. Number 11. Ultimately, and you already know this, it was a day that pointed towards Christ. Jesus is Our Yom Kippur. He is the humble high priest. He is the one that went in and did what only he could do. He is the only one sufficient to enter into the heavenly holy of holies. He is the only scapegoat. He is the final one on the cross. Jesus said it is finished, meaning he's the final Yom Kippur. That's it. Matthew 24 says his after his last saying from the cross, does anybody know what happened to the veil of the temple? The veil that separated the the, the holy of holies from the rest of the temple? Does everyone know what happened to it? It was split in half, signifying that it's done. Yom Kippur has been done. I have fulfilled it. It's done. I am the fulfillment of Yom Kippur. Everything that you've done to Israel in all your life, all this stuff that you've been looking for, it's all been pointing towards me. Now do this, go over to Hebrews chapter 9, and I want to read this for you so you can see it. The book of Hebrews points towards this. Uh, Are y'all okay? Are y'all awake and alive? Are you asleep? It's difficult stuff, Leviticus chapter 16. If you, man, if your soul can catch it, you can start to see so much beauty. You can see Jesus through the Old Testament. So some people think like, okay, man, we're Christians, we're We just read the New Testament and forget about the Old Testament. No, the Old Testament is a part of God's Word. It points us towards Jesus. I'll read a little. I don't have to do this on this week. Read chapter 9 and chapter 10 of Hebrews. It's going to give you such a richness for the work of of the high priest and for what happens on the Day of Atonement. We're just going to look at a little bit of it. Look in verse. We'll go ahead and look at... I'm trying to clip out what I want to do. Let's go to verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he, Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of, bulls, of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The day of atonement. I I encourage you, go back and read all of chapter 9 and 10. The Day of Atonement points us towards Jesus. My prayer and hope for you is this. What we've got today that is sundown Tuesday to sundown Wednesday night, that our souls would press in deep to the gospel message. Here's what we're going to do at this moment. Our worship team is going to come and we've got a gospel song to sing. And we're going to just practice a little bit of time of pushing in to the work of the cross by taking the Lord's Supper together. We're going to take it a little bit different though today. I'll explain that after the song, but what we're going to do is after this song, I'm going to put up some questions up on the overhead here, and we're going to have some questions to actually ask of ourselves before the Lord. And And then I'll dismiss us to go to four different tables of these brown tables that are kind of spread out in the congregation, and you'll just spread out to each of these four different tables. We'll have an elder at each table, and we're going to take communion right there, but we'll give you a chance that... If the Lord has something that you want to respond in light of the Day of Atonement, in light of the finished work of the cross. But we'll have some questions to lead you through that. At this moment, first, let's stand to our feet and have a time of singing a gospel song back to the Lord and preparing our souls to take this time of communion, our kind of Day of Atonement that we're remembering what Jesus has done in our place through His shed blood and His broken body on the cross. Bless our time as we sing to you and honor you and think deep thoughts about your finished work of the let us glory in the work of the gospel let us take a hard inventory of sin in our own lives for your name let us praise you